1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Troy Noon's is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone.
2: Happy, uh, are we in the tournament now? Maybe?
1: Week? Maybe. Week. Maybe? Uh, maybe. <laughs> Before we get started, just wanted to give a quick shout-out to our sponsors, uh, Sports Passport. You can go to sportspassport.com, check into any game you've been to, whether that's Syracuse or elsewhere. Um, and keep track of fun stuff like record of your favorite team, the record of your least favorite team, uh, the best games you've seen live in terms of individual performances. I know for me, I love looking at it myself and seeing 0-4 next to uh, Georgetown. It's a, it's a very satisfying feeling on my end.
2: Yeah, if you were at Georgetown versus DePaul last night, the second best top basketball team of the night, <laughs> um, definitely let us know and be sure to check in that delightful uh, event
1: photos of you hopefully wearing orange. Maybe. Go to Paul. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so last night was a lot of fun. Um, Syracuse did what it does, which is get down by double digits, look like trash in the first half, and then come out firing to start the second half and quickly kind of, you know, knock the game up. I know they kind of grabbed the lead here and there, from about the 16-minute mark until the end, but um, SU was within five very quickly uh, within the second half, and I think setting the tempo the way they did and obviously shooting much better uh, than they did in the first half Dan obviously um, set them up for what ended up being a pretty thrilling finish and a great, another great win over a top-10 team.
2: It's crazy cuz we, like we, we have this like running storyline of how unpredictable Syracuse is but at the same time like every single Syracuse game is interesting and they seem to play out in similar fashion where SU falls behind by between like 8 and 13 points and then works its way back and it comes down to if not the final shot like a big shot in the last minute um, I was just looking through the last game that really wasn't dramatic in the in you know down the stretch was probably Notre Dame Uh, which was back on January 21st. So we've had over a month of just every single game, win or lose, uh, be legitimately like a thriller till the end. I mean, the biggest uh, deficit in any of those was, what, the Florida State win, maybe? And that was even like still a pretty close game until Syracuse iced it at the end and made it a 10-point victory. Um, Just like crazy how this team keeps on doing this, how John Dillon can like bounce between a pretty... Dreadful performance uh, against Georgia Tech, and then comes back and has another awesome game. Not quite the 43 points in intensity State, but you know, a huge 26 point game, and another buzzer beater, which is what a second or third this year. So, uh, just this team it just does not want to make anyone's lives less uh, stressful. <laughs> win, win or lose, they're going to make it a uh, quite an experience every single game, and uh, I guess that's fun. <laughs> I, I could probably use a couple easy wins here and there, but. <laughs>
1: I guess I'll take what, what we get. Life.
2: Yeah. We haven't had an easy win since BC, which was... Uh, a while ago. I mean, that was well over a month ago now, so...
1: Well, yeah, we've had seven straight games now where we've had double-digit deficit. We've come all the That's way... That's incredible. Yeah, we've come all the way back in six of them? Um, yeah, we came all the way back in six of them, Pitt being the exception. Um, Georgia Tech ended up right. eking it out, and obviously Louisville beat us in overtime. Uh, but yeah, somehow, someway. Seven straight games. I I know I covered this in an article uh, on Monday that, I mean, I'm fine with it because we're winning the majority of those games by a sliver, but I don't know how sustainable this style of play is long-term, just because, not just from a physical standpoint on the players, I mean, these guys are all playing you know, 38, 40 minutes a night, but... Also, just from the standpoint of like mentally and emotionally, I know as a fan, how I feel, I can only imagine if I'm a player going out there each and every night and knowing what's on the line and knowing that you're probably going to be locked into another kind of you know needed buzzer beater kind a heated battle with either a better team or a worse team. It doesn't really seem to matter anymore. Um, I do feel like that catches up to you. I'm just not sure when that, that moment is. I thought it might have been Georgia Tech, but apparently not based on what happened against Duke.
2: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem sustainable at all, um, and I think we talk talked about like, you know, the guy guys basically playing the whole game, obviously Roberson will get in and eat into minutes for Leiden slash Thompson slash whomever, but um, overall, like, they just keep on pulling it off, or at least coming close, and it doesn't really seem like people are super worn out. Now, that might change in March when the games, the, the time between games drastically shortens, and you're playing, obviously, every night in the ACC tournament, or every other night, basically, in the uh, NCAAs, but For now, I mean, it seems like maybe the one benefit of having, um, if not a a team that's experienced in playing together, uh, a pretty uh, somewhat veteran group with the two grad transfer seniors and, you know, Leiden, who's coming off of a deep tournament run, and Roberson, who's been around for a while. Like, they, I I don't think minutes are probably as big an issue as if this was a team full of freshmen um, or, you know, full of guys who hadn't had that kind of experience, even if it wasn't at Syracuse.
1: No, completely. And, and, yeah, I think, like, you're right. If this was a younger team, I mean, you saw a team that that kind of lived and died by this mentality. And you can debate whether it was 06, or, 06 to 07 or 07, 08 more. It's would 08 probably more because it was a younger squad. Um, that was the first you know, dynasty year.
2: And they played six guys. Right.
1: They played six guys all year, so there's some similarities there. And you saw just the wheels kind of came off toward the end. Because injuries killed them, and obviously, again, youth. Um, In this case, uh, there's youth, but it's offset by, um, like you said, the the veterans on this team. I think, you know, Ty's battle has been able to grow immensely over the course of the season because he has that veteran support. Um, I think, you know, Frank Howard hasn't played a ton, but I feel like he's actually provided a little more value in in late minutes. Uh, I'd say over the course of this stretch. Um, he hit some nice free throws yesterday. I'm still puzzled by how well Syracuse is shooting free throws this year. It just it's because it's not just Gillen; it's everybody. I don't know if maybe White and Gillen being elsewhere for an extended amount of time means they didn't catch the disease where where, where they can't hit free throws. Uh, Leiden's a pretty good free throw shooter too. I mean, this this team's doing something it doesn't normally do, and it's is a long time viewer of Syracuse. Uh, it's certainly puzzling, and I know you're probably feeling the same.
2: Yeah, I mean, that was the thing that, like, really didn't make sense when they weren't playing well. Like, the fact that it was a Syracuse team that was shooting, you know, was best in the ACC, I don't know if they still are, but they're probably up there, uh, in free throw percentage, and it was, like, the worst uh, Syracuse team in a while now, Things are obviously evening out in the wins and losses, but the free throws still are a major strength. Last night, they were 22-25. Um, even, like, Thompson, who I think was, like, hovering around 50% earlier in the year, has really come along. Um, you know, he'll, he's good for, I mean, it seems like recently he's shooting more like, you know, 66-70%. Uh, on the season, he's up to, like, 62.5. So if that's your worst guy, and he's not a guy that plays nearly the amount of minutes that the, you know, the Whites and gillens do, um, and he's going to hit, you know, two-thirds of them, like, you'll take that. Uh, especially when it seems like everyone else is is done a hover around eighty percent, which is uh totally invaluable, especially in these late game scenarios. Um, and obviously it helped last night because Duke uh, put us on the line a decent amount down the stretch.
1: Yeah, I think the Duke foul trouble was very interesting last night because you know I didn't really, I didn't really notice it until they weren't just in trouble, but they were like completely screwed by it. I know I didn't notice that Allen had four fouls until he had them. It, it was. It, I mean, it was great to see, especially when we, I think a lot of folks are really frustrated by the officiating in parts of the first half of that game. I think in the entirety of the Georgia Tech game, um, it seemed like there was a lot of contact that wasn't being called. Um, I also think that, you know, Tatum's emergence in the first half and, and really going kind of silent in the second half was another key to this victory. Uh, there's just a lot of different nuances you can look at um, from this game that they don't make much sense on, on their face, uh, whether that's looking at you know Syracuse from the standpoint of um what they've done in the past year what they've done in the past week or or what they've done in the past decade uh this team's strange I don't get it and I I think I think shrug face is is pretty much the only suitable reaction anymore
2: yeah I think maybe the weirdest part of this game looking at the stats is the three-point breakdown um, we had Duke shoot 33, which is probably not that crazy for them. Um, they're a high-volume shooting team. They only hit 10, which is what Syracuse does to, you know, when Syracuse wins games in teams like this, it's when they hold them to a poor uh, three-point shooting percentage, and the only guys who really did any real damage there are Kennard, who was 5-for-9, uh, 8-of-19 overall for 23, so he had a nice game. Not like the most efficient game he's ever had, but he was you know, clearly Duke's best player as he's been most of the year. And then Tatum was 3-for-7, another 13 rebounds had the big overall game, although, as you noted, that was mostly first-half heavy. But other than that, I mean, uh, Matt Jones was 1-for-5, Grayson Allen was dreadful, he was 1-for-8, um, J- uh, Jackson was 0-for-4, so it just wasn't um, a good three-point shooting night for Duke. And Syracuse, which is also a high-volume three-point shooting team, only took eleven, and they had six, which is huge. Dylan had the three big ones, but um, just like that is probably—I don't know if that's the fewest threes that we've taken this year, but it's probably in the in the bottom three.
1: Yeah, I, I wouldn't doubt that at all. That uh, I can look up those numbers at some point, but that that definitely makes sense. I, I would, well, I guess it doesn't make sense uh, that that Syracuse is just for a team that relies on threes. You did see a startling. Startlingly few of them yesterday but i think you know the key to that is is the fact that duke is is a a bad defensive team and B a bad very bad defensive team uh, on the interior um i didn't get to look at the rebounding numbers but i'm sure that they were pretty close uh i, I think Leiden did a really nice job especially in the second half of picking up the slack um and you saw when when Lydon was finally getting fed in the middle when gillen started driving the lane in the second half i mean his first half was, was not great at all um but that second half uh, once he started driving the lane, he was drawing contact. Whether he was getting, you know, foul calls or not, was another story. But the fact that he was able to, you know, penetrate that Duke defense really easily, um, I think, opened up that offense for a lot more opportunities. And that's when you saw, you know, shots from the perimeter start falling. Um, that's when you saw again, you know, Gillen really get cooking uh, from a shooting perspective. Uh, another thing I know we were talking about free throws earlier. Um, the fact that Gillen's hit, what, is it, is it 43 or 44 now in a row it is still kind of mind-blowing, again, considering Syracuse's conflicted history with uh, with free-throw shooting and how we've been so bad at it for so long.
2: That, and Lydon was, like, I think he had, like, 30-something in a row earlier in the year. Um, yeah, Dylan. let me see the last time he missed. I didn't realize he had a that high. But I think Lydon had his first miss in, like, three or four weeks at Virginia. Um Gillen has not missed since he was 13-for-14 in his Florida State. He followed up a 13-for-14 performance with a 14-for-14 14 14 performance. And then since he didn't get to the line in his UVA, which is weird considering they won that game, 7-for-7, 5-for-5, 2-for-2, 2-for-2, 5-for-5. So, he's, uh, yeah, he's on fire.
1: I will take it every single time. Um, so, I know Beheim said after the game that, uh, that John Gillen was kind of the motor— that, that that drives these wins and, and all that i mean dan we talked about the frustrating uh pieces around guard play this year uh do you buy what jim's putting down here do you think that syracuse truly is you know powered by gillen or do you think that that there's there's other factors there including tyler Laden, that really dictate whether or not the orange uh, come away with a victory
2: um i buy it overall i mean i think you have examples of you know you have the the which we call it that disproves the, or that proves the fact, but, like, so you get Pitt 20 uh, against Pitt, which is a loss, obviously, but if you go back to, like, the UNC-Notre Dame losses, which is probably the two the two losses that, you know, made it seem like Syracuse didn't really belong anywhere near the top of the ACC. Um, Gillen combined for four points in those two games. He had nine in his Virginia Tech on two of nine shooting in that loss. He had seven in the loss to BC. So um, I'm looking, in all of Syracuse's losses, He has had double, he had zeroed into UConn. He's had double digit points, I think, in three of them. Um, In the wins, obviously, you have the 43 point game, the 26 point game last night. You had 21 in Florida State, uh, uh, 20 in the first game in its pit. Um, So I think it's pretty clear that uh, it's not the only factor, obviously. I don't know that many teams have like a single factor, but. I would say that John Dillon's performance is probably the lead uh, indicator of how Syracuse is. Uh, it doesn't mean they're going to win a game that he stores 20 in, but um, I think if you're getting that kind of consistent point guard play, and it does seem like his shooting um, also impacts his uh, you know play everywhere else. It seems like he has his best overall games on games where he's shooting well as well. Um, if we're getting that kind of point guard play, uh, I mean, it, it improves everyone's game because then you have Leiden probably getting more open looks, getting more pick and pops, You have, uh, someone who can feed the ball to battle and he doesn't have to rely, he doesn't have to be his like, you know, taking people off the dribble one-on-one all the time. Um, Howard has been very up and down, but I mean, you don't have to worry about getting good Frank Howard because he's probably not going to play very much. So yeah, I I buy it. Gillen, um, Bam, I think today said he was our best player. I don't know about that, but he's, I would say he's almost definitely the most important. Yeah,
1: I, I think Tyler Lydon still has that title as best player, um, at least for now, I think it was frustrating for me, and I know I wasn't the only one. Um, even people who were a little more even-keeled on Twitter, it seemed like uh, Donna over at Syracuse. dot com was even like openly tweeting like why the guards were just ignoring Lydon in the paint. Um, yeah, I I still think that Leiden is the best because not just because of pro potential, but also just because of how versatile he is. Like he he can play like a stretch five he can play like a three if needed um he has range on on both ends you know he can shoot the three he can he doesn't get super physical under the basket but he can go up and get a rebound against bigger players I think there's just a lot he can do and I don't know if Syracuse fans are ever going to see Tyler Lydon really hit the ceiling of his potential uh while he's wearing orange but uh, I hope he does at some point because I, I think he, he has been a really fun player for us to watch over the past two years. And I hope that we see many more years of it to come and a lot more development from him.
2: Yeah. His versatility is really, is really huge. And I think that's where his greatest NBA potential lies. And I also that like when he has a bad game, he very rarely is super inefficient. Like his bad games are when he's taking, you know, he's storing eight points on, on five shots. Like his, pro- his biggest problem Is when he's just not assertive enough. I think Um, not that I want him taking bad shots all the time, but uh, Leiden doesn't really have like he won't shoot you out of game ever. He just won't he won't take those shots at all. Um, So I think that might be you know I've seen a lot of like oh how can he be going in the NBA and you know I have some of those questions myself because you know there are nights where he disappears, but um, he still helps on the defensive end. He's incredibly important for the way we play now, which he's basically playing center most of the time with Thompson. Neither of them is a national center, obviously. And he plays it well enough. Uh, I, I think his greatest asset there is that he's really good at avoiding foul trouble, which is he will just, he'll surrender the two and, and live the fight another day versus, you know, stupid fouls most of the time. So, um, yeah, I, I think he's by far the most talented guy. I think White is the most insistent. And I think Gillen is uh, kind of the engine, like you said.
1: Yeah, I, I buy that for sure. Um, so, Dan, looking at Syracuse's resume right now, uh, you know, 17 and 12. Um, they got two games to play. They're nine and seven in league play. Um, if you if you were the committee today, are they in?
2: Today, I would say they're in. I think the wins are too good. I think it's you can you can complain. Like, I, I think the combination of the wins being too good and the losses being kind of front loaded, and also um, if you just build the narrative for Syracuse and you have you know this is. Uh, a team that added a bunch of pieces both uh, through recruiting and through grad transfer market. Um, clearly didn't gel until, you'd probably argue, like February. Um, has done better during the year. Uh, has, you know, doesn't have a whole lot of road wins, but have picked up a couple recently. Um, and plays in the ACC, which is 1-14, to is just absolutely brutal. Um, I think they're in. I think if they were to lose out, things to get hairy again. So, I think that Georgia Tech game becomes huge. I think the Louisville game is kind of gravy at this point. Yeah. Although, if they beat Louisville, I, they're definitely in. Um, I think, honestly, if they get to, eight, I think right now there's a good chance they'd be in no matter what, unless they just start to like fall apart. Um, and if they win one more game, I don't see a scenario where they don't get to the tournament.
1: I have to agree there. I, I think that you know, Syracuse is the only unranked team this year to beat three top ten teams. Um, I think they've they've got a better collection of quality wins than, uh, than not just anybody on the bubble, but I think just about anybody in the tournament field. Um, I mean, obviously there are some exceptions there with some of the, you know, one seed and things like that, but uh, Syracuse definitely has definitely put together a resume. I know you've tweeted about it and others have too, that, that's going to confound the hell out of the NCAA tournament committee for the second straight year. I mean, those bad losses are bad and they're worse than just about anybody's um, in the media bubble. Um, I, I wrote up a post uh, this morning about kind of the bubble watch and what that looks like and, and how SU compares. Um, the wins compare favorably. The losses don't in many cases. Um, so it's just a question of whether or not the committee decides to prioritize um, those wins over those losses. So I think based on what we saw from the uh, the early reveal um, a couple of weeks ago, it does seem like that they're looking at, those wins more than the losses. I I think it seemed like they forgave a lot of losses from those teams. Um, Granted, I think a lot's changed too, obviously. Teams like Florida State, teams like Virginia um, that were included in that early uh, bit of bracketology um, probably aren't there anymore, uh, which is unfortunate for us because those are some big wins for us. But nonetheless, I I do think that you're right. Syracuse Syracuse is in by way of of what else is on the bubble – um and what we know right now but but there's still a lot of opportunity for change um and, and the fact that the bubble is populated by a lot of major conference teams means that just like we have opportunities to play our way in um for good you know so do a lot of other uh squads that are still even if they don't have them on the on the schedule left like we do um, they do have a conference tournament to pick up another you know one or two uh, top 25 wins
2: Right, and I think if, if Syracuse can find its way into, and I, I, I don't know how they would fall out of the top eight, I guess, if they lost the next two and some things got shaken up, but um, it looks like there's a fair, a pretty good chance that they'll end up with a first-round bye if they can pick up a nice, you know, I guess what might be likely is a third matchup with Georgia Tech, um, or, you know, and, uh, which is not be the best, but I guess, you know, in the ACC, there really isn't a great, like, option unless you're playing B.C., and that would require BC to beat George Tech or whomever it faces in the first round. So, and
0: we lost to BC um,
2: this year. And we did lose to BC this year. Once upon a time, uh, back in in the the dark ages of the 2016 17 season. Um, I, I just overall, I, I think the strength of the ACC. And I think if you're looking at these teams and comparing them, um, even with the bad losses, I think if you're a committee member and you're trying to find the however many best, however many teams uh, that are at large that have the best chance of actually winning the tournament. Obviously, there's probably only a handful of teams that can actually win the tournament, but if you're ranking them in that order of, like, who could actually go and do real damage, Syracuse has to be towards the top. Like, they just, they have a a crazy low, I mean, early in the year at least, they had a really low floor. Who really knows how low that floor is now? Because even in the losses recently, they're playing every team close. Um, And even, like, the the North Carolina game, like, wasn't a total route until the end. Notre Dame was, was not all that close ever, but, like, even when they weren't playing well, um, outside of the, the freaky uh, St. John's and Boston College games, like, the losses were bad, but they weren't, like, um, devastating every game except for those two. And, you know, Wisconsin's pretty good. Um, I just think, you know, Syracuse, you're, you're getting a team that can go, and, you know, as they've proven, can go beat a two-seed in this tournament, or a three-seed. Now, who knows what they, you know, if they would... Actually, be able to to beat North Carolina in a rematch, or if they could go out and beat a Kansas. But um I don't think there are that many other teams in the bubble that that have as a shot at even that than Syracuse does.
1: Right, and I think that you know a lot of this is a little bit of a leap of faith on our part towards you know what the committee's thinking is, but it, it does boil down to do they value not just I, I guess do they want to take a, an optimistic viewpoint on teams, they want to take a pessimistic viewpoint on teams. So like. You know, what can Syracuse do? Well, Syracuse can lose to St. John's by 33, or they can lose, and they can lose to Boston College. Or what can Syracuse do? Syracuse can beat Duke at the buzzer. Syracuse can beat Virginia when no one's supposed to be able to beat Virginia, who had with a double-digit lead. You know, Syracuse can beat Florida State, who seemed like just team personnel-wise. Uh, they were just better equipped to beating them. So, like, looking down the list, we can get into this... Uh, less than a few um it does seem like Syracuse grades out very well on the potential front but again it just depends how much the committee allows potential to guide their decision versus uh the raw numbers which depending on which metrics you use don't always help SU out a ton
2: right and and the bubble is just super messy this year so it's a lot of it's going to be on how that committee values individual things, and and that changes year to year. So it, it's hard to really project. Um, I guess if you're looking at last year, uh, you'd feel pretty good. Syracuse dot in uh, on you know what could have even been a shakier resume, especially considering how they ended the season. Um, but you know it things could to be totally flopped this year. They could be way more friendly towards mid majors. There could be some weird uh, tournaments things with some bids are stolen. Although it doesn't seem like that's all that likely based on the current mid major. Uh, You know how things are working out there, Um, and overall, like there just aren't that many impressive bubble teams. Like I think it feels like every year now we say the bubble's weak, but the bubble really seems weak this year. So uh, Syracuse could use it to their advantage and sneak in and grab like a 10 or 11 seed, and and I I guarantee you we'll be hearing all about last year's team uh, if that happens because that's all anyone's going to talk about. uh, You know, in any matchup we're in, Uh, especially if we end up against some power power teams uh, if we get to the second and third rounds.
1: That's all anybody's talking about now, interestingly enough. I know I've already seen a couple mentions of it. Um, you, know, you brought up the weak bubble, and I've been avoiding the word if I can just because I know um, over the other day over on SB Nation, I know uh, Mike Rutherford from Card Chronicle uh, had a whole thing about how the weak bubble is a bit of a fallacy and, and spelled out a couple of reasons why. Um, I, I think he's right, but but I think the, the word and we've used it here. You know, confusing, messy, I think that's a little more accurate just because I think that there isn't, it's not weak, there's just very little demarcation between the teams, and it really just depends on, uh, you know, what you want to look at um, with regard to each. Uh, There's obviously, again, depends on the metrics, depends on all that. Um, Before we jump into that, I think that's a good second-half topic. Uh, Figured we'd jump into halftime here, Um, but before we do, wanted to give another shout-out. To our friends over at Sports Passport. Again, you can go to sportspassport.com, you check into every game you've been to in the four major sports. MLS is on there, you can go to college football or basketball. Uh you know, share your experiences uh there as a literal passport to the sports and sporting events you've been to. Um so again, you know, I've checked in, I think it was last I looked, it was like eighty-something times at the Carrier Dome, and that's football and basketball, so a little bit of an advantage on every other venue. Um, Dan, did you get to uh, fill out your passport since we last spoke?
2: Uh, I started to. I haven't done like a full uh, evaluation, but I think uh, soon I will. I added a couple of the ones I've been doing this year, so I uh, am looking forward to getting on there and finding like a, an hour or two to, to fully go through uh, all the games I can remember. Uh, and hopefully get a, at least a decent pick. Uh, I'm actually, this weekend, I'll, I'll uh, I'm down here in South Carolina uh, with some friends this week. So I'm actually going to be at the South Carolina versus Tennessee basketball game on Saturday afternoon. So I will get to uh, experience SEC basketball, the league that everyone always tells you you need to watch out for, I think.
1: Oh man, that league is, that league is fire. I don't, I don't know what I would want more than, than
2: watching. To watch a, a 55 <laughs> to 52 game at, You know, actually, what is actually supposed to be a pretty nice arena. Um, South Carolina actually is a pretty big one, but still, yeah.
1: Sign me up. Um, All right.
2: (laughs) So exciting.
1: So, yeah, looking just to give Sports Passport a little bit more love. Um, Excuse me. Clear my voice. Um, Venues I've been to the most. Carrier Dome at 81. uh, Dodger Stadium, 27. um, Staples Center, 16, but has the advantage of three different teams to play there. Um, and I've been to at least a few from each. Um, Oracle Arena, surprisingly high, at 11. Um, And this is why I say the Warriors fans are trash, because I was there when I could get in for $20, and nobody else cared about the team, and I saw them booing the ownership group that ended up delivering them a title. But whatever. And then to round out the top five, it's actually a tie between AT&T Park and Shea Stadium. R.I.P. Shea. RIP.
2: I would imagine the Dome is probably number one for me as well, just because four years of basketball and football and lacrosse and everything else. But uh, City is probably going to be close when I actually go. To, I mean, I was, I've i been to at least like 30 or 40 games in City now, Ooh, um, okay. probably more. So
1: I've only been to three, admittedly, but that's because uh, so, I live 3,000 miles away.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's more than I've been to in the West Coast, so <laughs> Fair, fair. Granted, I have a lot less reason to head, head out that way, although I would like to... Get back to that way uh, sooner than later.
1: Come hang out. You should find tickets to the Rose Bowl. We can go. Maybe. <laughs> I will say it's worth it's worth the hype. Oh, I would love to go to the Rose Bowl. I like. I know everybody writes about this the first time they go. Like, I mean, I've been to the Rose Bowl for UCLA games a bunch, but when you go for the game, that there's just a very different vibe. It's a very different experience. I mean, I got to see. I got to sit around a lot of trash Oregon fans. So that was another experience, but in general, um, just a very cool vibe, a very cool atmosphere. Um, I was friends of mine used to live, uh, like right off the main drag, um, on Colorado, um, in Pasadena. So I actually went up there early on new year's Eve, grabbed a parking space, stayed the night and then woke up early for the Rose parade and everything else. It was just really, really cool. So again, would. would I know it's not feasible for a lot of people, but would highly recommend it for those who at some point in their lives want to check that off the bucket list.
2: When Syracuse makes that I will be there.
1: <laughs> that probably won't happen, but but I have some faith, I guess. It's definitely on the short list. Fair enough. Um, all right, why don't, we, uh, why don't we talk about a little bit of beer? Dan, what, uh, what have you been drinking?
2: Uh, it's been another pretty big week, back to back. Um, so on Sunday, I went over to Three's Brewing in Brooklyn, which I had not been to um, for. They had some uh, like can sale event for like they had a bunch of beers from all over. Um,
1: Aaron speaks very highly of them all the time.
2: Yeah, like their beers pretty good. The space is awesome. Like they have a nice outdoor patio, and they have like a. It's a really cool spot. I hadn't been to before, and it was a gorgeous day in New York. I was like sixty, like low sixties. So, I had their Unreliable Narrator, which is a very uh, juicy IPA, uh, quite good. I had um, the, they did a, they had a a collaboration with Matteller Brewing um, called Seeking Panacea, which was absolutely delicious. Um, Then they had a, uh, they had like some brews from uh, some other places nearby. There's a Hudson Valley brewery called uh, Industrial Arts. I uh, had, had their uh, IPA uh, power tools, which is probably the best thing I had that day. Um, really, really citrusy, really fresh, um, just like a really solid IPA. I hadn't actually had anything from them before, um, but now I would like to go up there at some point because they're not too far from the city. Uh, and then, uh, I'm in, as I said before, I'm in South Carolina last night. I had uh, D9 Brewing, which is in North Carolina's Ezekiel 2517 Black Sour which was super interesting. It comes in like uh, kind of a, a light coffee uh, beer, and then it then it goes to the sour, and it like both flavors are very very present. Um, I had the uh, Water Turkey Wild from uh, Brewery, a uh, uh, long Belgian name I don't want to pronounce, um, which was quite good. Uh, I had a Palmetto Trail Ale, which is a solid just pale ale from R.J. Rockers Brewing, which is really nice. Um, I had. Not a South Carolina beer, obviously, but Ballast Point. Their Peppermint Victory at Sea, which was very good. Um, I thought they did a nice job. Like, it's not overwhelmingly minty at all, but it blends nicely with the the normal the normal Victory at Sea flavor. Uh, and then White Thai from Westbrook, which is, you know, a brewery that we talk about a fair amount on here. A South Carolina brewery. Unfortunately, not very close to Columbia or Charleston, where I'll be this weekend. Um, really nice, drinkable white. Uh, and then... Uh, I'm currently drinking a West Doza, which I bought a lot of sits back of, because I'm here, um, so, not the worst way to spend a Thursday afternoon, and, uh, one of the other better ones I've had recently, D9, um, Brown Sugar Brown Cow, which is, uh, quite, a, like, pretty sweet, but not, like, uh, like, outrageously so, just really nice flavor, um, also super drinkable, uh, kind of reminds me of, like, a souped-up, like, Magic Hat 9, but, um, a little... Uh, not as fruity, but the brown sugar flavor is um, definitely present without being like obnoxious.
1: Interesting. I think you so that's that's my full list. You might have beaten me again this week. I, uh, I I've been slacking lately because we've been doing kitchen remodel crap, and that has prevented me from doing anything. Uh, some things that I've been drinking. Uh, last night I had a Dinosaur World from Modern Times uh modern times has kind of gotten on the hazy train along with a lot of other west coast breweries um so that's been it's been disappointing to see everybody jump on that hype but it's also been interesting to see who has done a good job with it and who hasn't um i think modern times has done a really nice job with it uh, a lot of folks have heard about Monk is doing a really good job with it um I think Highland Park around here has done a pretty good job balancing kind of hazy and non-hazy IPAs. Um, I still love myself a a nice, crisp West Coast IPA that doesn't taste like orange juice, but I'm increasingly in a minority there. Uh, Had some Luponic Distortion from Firestone Walker that's regularly available for anyone who um, has access to Firestone stuff. Uh, And then I had a foam top. From Beechwood, which I've mentioned a couple different times, um, and also some mash and French toast from the brewery. Uh, it was a mash uh, and French toast is a barley wine uh, from them. It's barrel aged. They also use some uh, some maple syrup, um, some cinnamon. Didn't totally taste like French toast, but but I understood the uh, the basic concept there. Um, from Craftsman. I had an Acorn Saison. That was uh, was very, very good. Um, then also had a Windows Up IPA from Alpine uh, over at Mediterraneo uh, in Hermosa Beach. I was bummed because I think they might not have Blind Pig on anymore from Russian River. Uh, and that was unfortunate, but also grabbed, uh, hadn't had it yet, the uh, Give Me Stout or Give Me Death from Stone um, that they did over in Virginia. Uh, it was a uh, Imperial Stout with, uh, I think it was raspberries and boysenberries, maybe. Um, and that was pretty cool. So, yeah, that was, uh, that was everything for me. Very nice. Indeed, indeed. Um, okay, so back to the bubble that we were talking about earlier. Uh, again, mentioning the article that I wrote earlier today. Um, kind of broke down, you know, who's above Syracuse on the bubble, who's below it. Uh, and the five teams that I isolated above. This is all according to bracket matrix: uh, Kansas State, Cal, Marquette, Seton Hall, and TCU. Um, all currently listed above. But you look at these resumes, and, and I don't know about you, Dan. I'm uh, I'm not super impressed with anyone's outside, maybe Kansas State, but even Kansas State, like, and Cal too, like. Just haven't looked great uh, recently. I think that our resume does shine brighter than anything that Marquette, Seton Hall, or TCU has, uh, has put together so far.
2: Yeah, I think Marquette uh, might have the...
1: Trump guard, Nova.
2: They have the Nova win, and the Creighton win is pretty nice. Not what it was, but still decent. So they have like the one the the, the matching wins. Um, I just don't think that the Big East provides like the same depth of, uh, of as the ACC, obviously. Um, also, also, the fact that St. John's like kind of bad. So I'm reading your article now, and like actually ended up beating a lot of these teams is pretty funny. <laughs> um, but like you said, I, I think uh, just in general, like the, there's nothing really flashy on most of these. Um, obviously, Kansas State has some nice wins in the Big Twelve, but. Baylor and West Virginia are good teams. I don't know that they're any better than... I, I certainly I don't think that would stand that up compared to beating Duke, Virginia, and Florida State. At, at best, it's like, you know, our three versus their two, even if you want to say that Baylor and West Virginia would be among the top four in the ACC, which I don't know that i buy. Um, Cal, you know, if they had beaten Oregon last night, then that would have been, been nice. But, of course, Dylan Burtz pulled a John Dillon. Um... So yeah, it's just—I don't. None of these really. I, I don't know how you argue matter-of-factly that um, any of these di- any of these teams is like head over heels better than Syracuse. And I think that's what we we're talking about before. It's it's just you can kind of point to any metric you want and get your get the answer that you're looking for. It's not like there's one team that definitively like checks all the boxes compared to another.
1: Yeah, I, I think that 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 really is the the trouble with this bubble. Not to. Go into a Doctor Seussian rhyming scheme, but yeah, that th- there's there's nothing that really differentiates these teams besides maybe a couple numbers on the RPI or a couple numbers in strength of schedule, and so I, I that's why I think I'm leaning on on quality of wins, and and yeah, none of these teams are, are head and shoulders above Syracuse. Like if if any of them were left out instead of Syracuse, I mean the only thing you might be able to point to is total losses. Um, it's unlikely the Kansas State finishes with you know, any better than, you know, one less loss than Syracuse. Um, Cal probably finishes with less losses or fewer losses, apologies, for the grammar police that is always out in full force um, on Syracuse posts. Uh, Marquette, same deal, could finish with 11 or 12, just like us. Uh, Seton Hall, again, 7 and 8 in the Big East, they don't really buy it. And then TCU, TCU probably finishes with as many, if not more, um, losses than us. So that's the group above Syracuse. Um, the group below, I don't really think any of them have a compelling case. I think that like we're probably the demarcation line um, in terms of like who who's reasonably in and who's reasonably out. But um, Dan, that list for you if you had not seen it. Illinois State, Georgia Tech, Tennessee, Clemson, and Wake, Uh, none of those teams really possess the type of wins uh, that that earlier group does, even TCU, that they don't have a huge, huge quality um, of resume in terms of wins, but they do have a number of wins um, and a number of wins against uh, bubble teams.
2: Yeah, uh, Illinois State's interesting because you could always, like, outwardly wonder if if they'll just you know give more credence to a mid-major especially when there's you know a bunch of middling power conference teams and they're, they're 24 and 5 um obviously they could go and and you know win their conference but um that you know isn't always uh died in the wall for any team um and then georgia tech i mean a lot of that's gonna be you know if if it comes down to syracuse and georgia tech and georgia tech beats syracuse twice that's a really hard argument to make for su obviously it wouldn't be the first time that that's that a team has done in over another one that beat it twice but you know it's still sticky um in tennessee like Clemson's it's had just a really rough stretch this year uh, they've had so many games that they were right in and just couldn't finish um they just don't have a lot of great wins their acc records is not going to end up being very good um Tennessee, like, the SEC, I don't think it's done a, I saw some people saying the SEC was on more than, like, four teams in, which I just... I struggle to find that. That league is just not deep. Nope. So, yeah, it's just... It, none of these teams impress me all that much. And obviously, we're working from, like, a pretty strong Syracuse bias here. But even so, like, I, I don't expect... Um, unless one of these teams goes on a crazy conference tournament run. It just, it's hard for me to, to think that they're going to have uh, anything close to like a trump card over syracuse it at best like you could point to like some individual things that give them an edge but uh in terms of like the the total the totality of the evidence i don't know that there's going to be a team that um works a lot better and and syracuse has you know the big wins like which we always say that's the best thing that syracuse has on its resume and i don't know that another one of these teams will even be able to come close to matching that Unless like Kansas State gets a lucky, couple lucky draws in the Big Twelve tournament and wins a couple of huge games, maybe that's the only one.
1: Yeah, and I mean, like I said, in general, like the fact that this is the the, the plus and minus, I guess, that since it is devoid of mid majors, we don't have to necessarily worry about bid stealing as much. Um, Illinois State being the only mid major on here, but um, at the same time, since there are so many power conference teams here all of them will have an opportunity to face better teams and continue to bolster that resume. Um, you know, whether or not they take it is a different story. Illinois State, even, you know, looking at their, their total wins, um, but that's a two-team conference this year uh, with Illinois State and Wichita. And based on the current records, there's no way those teams can face each other uh, before the, the Missouri Valley Championship game. So it's not as if, you know, Illinois State could – Beat Wichita State in the semifinals and then lose in the final, and then be able to uh, to get in by by of record. Anyway, there's no, there, there is no situation for for Illinois State um, to improve its station. I think that you know 24 and five and, and they'll probably end up being uh, you know around the 25, 26, 27 win range in, in there when the season's over. Um, sounds great, but but if they, I know right now. The last time they faced wichita state they lost by 41 um if they lose to wichita state again in the uh, mount you know missouri valley championship uh by that many points i uh i i don't necessarily know if the committee looks fondly at that given again the, the lack of real uh quality wins here i mean the best thing that they can hold other than one win over wichita is a loss to uh to tcu which isn't great
2: yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, but it does seem like, and I'm not like backing this up with any actual hard evidence, but based on feel, it does seem like the committee is more loath to giving credit to those mid majors uh, that don't win their tournament and have like a couple like when they play a, a legit team like Wichita, who's obviously pretty proven on a national stage, um, get blown out. Like it just doesn't seem like those teams often get the benefit of the doubt when it comes to at-large bids.
1: No, absolutely not. I think. You know, Illinois State's biggest problem this year is the fact that, A, it's a two-team conference, and, B, the fact that Wichita State is a proven commodity. I, I think if if they have to choose, like if neither team wins the Missouri Valley, that bid's going to Wichita. And, and that's unfortunate for Illinois State because they've done a really nice job um, this year and, and, and kind of revitalized the program with a really strong season. Uh, but nonetheless, um, there's, no, there's no clear-cut way to do – there's no clear-cut way to avoid the bias that inherently creeps in um, during this this tournament selection process, and I think Wichita State would end up beating them out if, if the bid was between those two schools.
2: Yeah, I think that. Uh, yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, it, it, and that benefits Syracuse. I mean, we probably don't want to admit it, but if you're going to have inherent bias towards name programs like Syracuse, clearly gets the benefit of the doubt there, and I think it would be. Um, I think it would be probably a little naive to think that that might not play in. Obviously, there's a lot of people that will always stream anti-Syracuse bias about everything. But uh, I think, honestly, yeah, that's fine. Whatever. Um, honestly, like, it's more likely that uh, it's more likely that uh, you know they look at Syracuse. Said you know last year we had questions about them. they made a final four run. I don't think that that should really matter. But um, it might sneak into the back of people's minds or, or just kind of like subconsciously influence how people look at the Orange.
1: Oh, completely. And again, like looking around, there's just, you know, even if you go to Braggin' Matrix and you look, the there are no mid-majors like hovering in, in the darkness, you know, beyond be this list too. I mentioned, you know, in kind of the, the conclusion of the post that the next few teams, like Providence, Rhode Island sort of, but I think Rhode Island's there mostly because of the hype that they came in on when the season started not necessarily the body of their work now. Um, the A-10's a good league though, so you never know. Um, They do have opportunities to pick up some more quality wins. Uh, Houston and American Athletic just, it has a few good teams, and that's really it. If Houston, Houston's going to have to probably get to the championship game of that league um, and beat, like, at least Cincinnati, if not SMU2 in the process um, to make that happen. And then Vandy, you know, we we discussed this with Tennessee uh, in terms of, you know, just how terrible the the SEC's depth is. uh, Vandy's going to be hard pressed without knocking off, you know, Florida or South Carolina or Kentucky um, to improve its own station. Which, and unfortunate for those teams, but definitely helpful for us um, as the uh, as everything comes together. I mean, bid steal. I, I think for me this year, I'm more concerned not about bid stealing, um, you know, from. Mid majors I, I, and low majors, I'm, I'm more concerned about bid stealing from power conferences because we've seen it happen um, a few times. The SEC had those couple years where, like Georgia was like a 14 seed, and Mississippi State was like a 13 seed because they managed to pull like three or four straight upsets um, t- to win their conference tournaments and, and then get auto bids. Uh, but yeah, I think that, that that's the that's the big place to be concerned because obviously if you're if you're hanging around that bubble. You've only got so much room, wiggle room for anybody else to lose. Um, I think the, the other conferences to watch beyond the Power Leagues, um, West Coast Conference, obviously, if anyone besides Gonzaga or St. Mary's wins, uh, that creates a problem. Um, should keep an eye on Missouri Valley. Um, A-10 as well, if, if someone outside those top couple teams um, is able to come away with something. Uh, that'll be interesting. But yeah, I, I think I, I think it really does come down to those those larger conferences more than the smaller ones this year.
2: Yeah, uh, and I'm glad I, that reassures me that I should definitely be uh wholeheartedly supporting the DM Trans Tennessee this weekend. Both to help our one of the teams that we lost to and uh, not Tennessee. I mean that would probably end to any hope of Tennessee getting that large. So
1: Yeah, I would agree. I uh I mentioned in the article, Tennessee's resume really isn't great. Uh, so I, I can only imagine if they suffer another loss um, to anyone, but especially a, a top team that they would really need to beat, I, I I don't see that working out well for them.
2: Yeah, definitely not. They're just not very good. No, not at all.
1: Now, to end our show, we get to play everybody's favorite game. Bracketology. This all right, if we're
2: doing the loop, the latest explanation, one does not have Syracuse in, because it's not. from before the Doom. Yeah.
1: But still worth it. I think we can uh, think we can use it as a barometer, give Chris a plug, and Chris is one of the most accurate, um, if not the most accurate, uh, annually, uh, bractologist on the web, so definitely worth uh, reading his stuff. Um, so read, read different things if you want, but if you're going to read one, I think Chris is the way to go. Uh, Do we want to uh,
2: just put ourselves in for Clemson?
1: (laughs) Where's Clemson right now?
2: 11 Um, in the play-in against Wichita State.
1: Yeah, that's fine. Let's just do that.
2: Okay, fine. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: That's that's fine with me. Okay, so um, looking at the uh, East Bracket first. Um, VCU-Villanova could be a really fun game in the second round, not going to lie, and I would be tempted to pick VCU, uh, but I won't. Uh I'm going to West Virginia in the top half. Um, West Virginia's a four seed. I got West Virginia over Villanova in the Sweet 16. Um, in the bottom half, looking over everything, um, I've got Florida over Duke in the Sweet 16, and then give me um, Florida over West Virginia um, in the Elite Eight.
2: Um, West Virginia Notre Dame to be a really interesting one. I know Notre Dame has kind of been uh, sloppy lately. Um but obviously, when they play well, they're really dangerous. West Virginia plays like a totally different style uh, of like bully ball that has had mixed results in the tournament. Um, I think you know they've been best when they've been really talented and not as much like the team that just punks people up and down the court with the press. But you know that's not the most uh, shocking thing in the world. Um, yeah, this is an interesting one out of the top. Um, I'm going to stick with Nova. Uh, obviously, like you said, the VCU matchup can be really interesting. We've seen VCU do that to teams uh, that have been number one, number two seeds before, and they're pretty good this year. Um, we're on the bottom. Uh, Duke's definitely the most talented. I'm not buying Duke. Like, I think if Duke was as good as, as their talent says, like, they probably would have beaten us last night, and I know, you know, it was all, a final ba- a final buzzer, you know, buzzer beater by Gillen and, and everything, but Duke, like, it just—I'm not convinced that they're all the way there. I know they had seven wins in a row before that, um, but like Florida, I have trouble with the SEC. Just total mess. Uh, although I do think Florida is pretty good. I'm like almost tempted to just go like crazy and pitch like Xavier, but <laughs> I won't. I, I guess I'll—I'll I'll go with—I'll I'll go with Florida. I guess they're probably more consistent. And Duke guys have a bad taste in my mouth with Duke after last night's team, or a well, good I I taste, but not for Duke. Um, so I'll go with Florida. I'll take Nova over Florida.
1: Fair enough. Um, looking down at the west, uh, there's another interesting one. I think OK State-Gonzaga sounds like a fun game. I think Gonzaga-Michigan sounds like an awful game. Um, I'm definitely believing in Butler here. Um, I think Wisconsin's kind of fallen back of late. So I'm actually going to take Butler out of the top half. Um, and in the bottom half, Um, there's a lot of uneven teams here. Uh, you know, you're seeing your Maryland's, Florida State, Oregon. I don't believe in any of these teams, um, in any way, shape, or form, but I'm going to go with Oregon, and that means that I'm picking Butler over Oregon to get to the final four.
2: Um, out of the top... I'm going to go with Wisconsin. I, I think Wisconsin might might get it going for the tournament here. I think they're experienced. They have some nice players. They have, uh, um, you know, they've been here before. I think they have a solid roster overall, even if they've kind of... I mean, it's not really their fault. If they played in the Big Ten, and the Big Ten doesn't give you anything. So, like, I think Wisconsin might be better than this. They just don't get, like, big opportunities at all. Um, I know they've had some, like, weird games. Uh, Butler's good. I could see either of those. Gonzaga would still kind of... I know we're, we're both on, like, the... Gonzaga has to prove it to us, uh, train here. That's fine, Um, they do. whether it's fair or not. Yeah, I think they do. I mean, we there, how many times are they going to be a top seed? Not do it. So yeah. I'll go Wisconsin. Um, out of the bottom, I go Florida state. I know I've been kind of pro Oregon. I like, guess, you know, at this moment in time, which is, you know, since I didn't look at this until just now is how we're doing this. Um, Florida state just, uh, I think that they've overcome their losses. Um, and, and there's just no dominant team that's just rolling through people this year. So, uh, one loss doesn't stare me away too much. Um, I realize what I just said about Duke, but I'm going to stick with it and act like this is not hypocritical. <laughs> um, <laughs> Florida State, I, I, I like their their deep rotations. I think that could work well in the tournament. They have size. They have two guys who could really score. I just really like that team overall. Um, so I'm going to take Florida State over Wisconsin uh, to go to the Final Four.
1: All right. Uh, looking up at the south, uh, the top right region there. I'm looking down this list, and Cincinnati and North Carolina would be a really fun game. Um, but I do think UCLA-North Carolina is a more likely game um, in the Sweet 16. I'm going to go with North Carolina and that one. I think the Heels have really kind of hit another gear of late, especially after what they did to Louisville last night. Then looking at the bottom here, um, I don't really want to pick Kentucky but I feel like I might have to. Um, SMU is also pretty scary. Uh, that said, if we're subbing in Syracuse for Clemson, um, Kentucky can beat Syracuse, I know that. Um, so I'm just going to say Syracuse probably loses to SMU and just ends it there. Um, this This is a little bit of chalk. I'm going to go... I will go Kentucky over Baylor, and then I'm going to go North Carolina over Kentucky in the Elite Eight.
2: Yeah, this is a tough one, um, the bottom especially. North Carolina, I think, is really good. Although, if this plays out the way it, it says here, I'd be pissed if I was UNC and had to place, face Miami in round two. Yeah. Like, I don't even know. I don't remember off the top of my head what those two teams have done this year um, in their head-to-heads. But, like, it's like the Marquette-Syracuse game uh, yeah, back... That, it's you know, unnecessary. The, the, it's so stupid. Like, there... I mean, I haven't looked. I'm, there are spots here where you could you could switch Miami and Michigan. And... Yeah, done. Well, I guess you couldn't do that. But you could switch... Northwestern and Oklahoma State, or uh, Miami and... I don't know, you could do something. I'm, I just gave two that you couldn't do. But um, <laughs> you could switch uh, Miami and USC, I'm pretty sure, and it'd be fine. Um, but yeah, so it's just unnecessary. Um, I think uh, North Carolina, on paper, is the best, uh, the best team in the top. UCLA, um, I think they have a high high ceiling... But I could see them just flaming out. Um so I feel best about North Carolina there. Even Cincinnati, like I'm not quite sure what they are. I know their record's really impressive. Um
1: they but... Look dangerous, but yeah, it's the the seed the seed doesn't help them out. They face a dangerous UTA team and then they have to face UCLA. Like
2: Right. And I think UCLA is just like like Cincinnati plays really well and they're, you know, a scrappy bunch, but UCLA is so talented. Um I would I would have trouble picking them in that one. So I'll take UNC. Um I could see UCLA taking it, uh for sure, but I think UNC is just too consistent and they they have the experience. Um in the bottom, um SMU I've admittedly not watched that much of another pretty impressive club. Um I think I'd roll with Kentucky here, and I think Kentucky's a very flawed team. Um they're they're quite talented, but they, they just they haven't looked good like in a while now. Um they struggled with Mizzou the other night, uh, who's pretty bad. Um Baylor, I'm not buying. Michigan State, I think, is like. We're talking about Syracuse maybe getting in on rep. Michigan State's floating on rep even harder. Like, they are just not a very good team. Um, and, like, St. Mary's, I don't think this is like. It's a good St. Mary's team. I don't think they're great. Um, it's, a
1: good it's just a weird group. They're probably a tournament team, but
2: yeah. Right. Uh, I just don't know that I buy them. You know, maybe they could beat Baylor. It wouldn't shock me, but I don't think they would beat Kentucky. Um, So I'll it with the Wildcats, and I'm not even as high on them as I was like a couple weeks ago. Uh, If if Syracuse wasn't in that Clemson spot, um, I don't think any of these are like super easy matchups, but definitely uh, I could see Syracuse making a run. Like I could see Kentucky just being totally flummoxed by uh, the zone, or I could see Malik Muntz dropping 50. Um, It's one of those for sure. Uh, So I'll take UNC um, over Kentucky uh, in that one.
1: Fair enough. And then I realized I actually skipped the uh, the top right because that was my fault. Um, so looking at the last bracket, the Midwest um, got Kansas as a one seed. Um, I like Kansas to get at least past the first two rounds. Actually, I like Kansas to get the Elite Eight. Um, it depends on what you believe in Purdue. I think Creighton's on the way down. Um, I think actually an Illinois State Creighton game is ripe for an upset. Um, but yeah, I, I think Kansas actually gets the easiest path of all the uh, the one seeds here, despite being the uh, the designated two out of the uh, out of the ones. And then looking at the bottom half, um, Virginia's not going to be a six at this point. I think they're fading fast. I think Middle Tennessee would actually beat them. Um, I think Louisville still has some problems that they need to work out. Um, they're one of the most talented teams in the country, don't get me wrong, but they're definitely uh, flawed a little bit. And in an Iowa State matchup, I think Iowa State's been rising quite a bit of late. Um, I'm going to take Arizona out of the bottom half. Um, and then... I'll take Kansas um, over Arizona in that elite eight, continuing my uh, my clear and distinct bias against uh, the Arizona Wildcats.
2: <laughs> it's Arizona slander over here. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I could see Purdue uh, coming up huge. like swatted in Stary, but but their overall team doesn't really impress me too much. Kansas, I, I just have a feeling Kansas needs to own a run at some point, and what better spot than this when they have three dynamic guards um and are finally you know they're playing as well as they ever do they won the Big 12 for the a millionth time in a row last night um manageable bracket. and yeah this would be very bad like Dayton, i don't think you ever really want to see dayton uh and virginia tech uh can get up and they they play hard creighton's like none of these are, these aren't easy but i i just like kansas a lot more than any of these teams in the top half um virginia is a six like who would have who would have thought a couple weeks ago they're gonna be a um when
1: the new bracketology comes out probably and that's going to be horrifying for whoever's the two.
2: Um, I will say, well, at least Michigan State's not here as the 11, um, which would be hilarious. Uh, is it is it Virginia that gives Louisville all kinds of problems? Is that the matchup? Yeah, uh, it
1: is.
2: Yeah. So that that's interesting. Iowa State, I'm not buying. I can't, I'm not going to be folded down by them. Um, I think we've had Arizona, Louisville the last couple weeks uh, in one of these spots. I'm just out of Virginia. I just don't think they have. This, I don't think they have the no to guy. I think Corantes has been kind of flushed, thrust, not flushed, not thrust. That's not a word. Um, f- thrust into that role, and I don't think that he's well equipped to do it. Um, there's no in There's no Joe Harris. Um, I think they would get by Middle Tennessee, but you never know. We've we've seen Middle Tennessee do things before. Obviously, um, I think I would go Arizona versus Louisville. Uh, I think I'd stick with Louisville, although that's a really tough matchup, um, so I'd have the one and two. Uh, I think I took Louisville last week in this exact matchup. I think I'm going to take Kansas this week.
1: All right. So our final four, because now we're uh, kind of running up against time. Um, my final four was Florida versus Butler on one side, and Kansas and North Carolina on the other. I'm going with Florida, North Carolina, um, and giving North Carolina the title.
2: I have, uh, I believe, I have Villanova. I don't think did I give a winner of Villanova, Florida? Did I get? I don't remember what I said.
1: Uh, I think you you were riding with you were riding with Nova. I recall.
2: Yeah. So I have Nova, Kansas. I would take Kansas to stop Nova from repeating. And then in the bottom, I was a little more interesting and had Florida State versus North Carolina. That's tough. A uh, little ACC matchup. Um,
1: well, wouldn't, it I think been, I don't... wouldn't it be Nova versus Florida State?
2: Is that how this is? Is, is, it, yeah, is it East versus... Good. Oh, you're right. Okay, I'm wrong. I got confused by how they laid this out. Oh, so yeah, it'd be Nova versus Florida State. That's tough, too. Uh, and then it would be uh, Kansas versus UNC, which would be fun. I think I would go to Kansas, and I think I would go – I think ultimately I'd go Villanova. I feel a little better about them than Florida State, although Florida State is impressive in a lot of ways. And I guess I would take Kansas to uh, knock off Nova in the final and win the title.
1: Fair enough, fair enough. Um, I think that's everything for this week. I know it's kind of abrupt. I've got an engagement in a couple minutes to get to, but – Dan, thank you as always for joining. Very much appreciate the uh, adjusted schedule this week.
2: Yes, thank you for uh, for making it easy on me here.
1: Of course, of course, and uh, thank you everybody for listening. This is Troy Nunes and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, on uh, whatever ever other service you use, and uh, go orange.
2: Go orange.